Hello, welcome to Free to Watch. I'm Rachel. And I'm Sharon. Uh, this is a podcast about free to watch TV f- and films in the UK, and we might talk about some podcasts as well. Um, just to preface this, spoilers for all, because <laughs> um, we cannot guarantee we will not let something slip. Mm-hmm. And today's first film that we're going to talk about is The Guest, which is on ITV Player. It's about a shoulder, a shoulder, a soldier that introduces himself to the Peterson family, claiming to be a friend of their son who died in action. After the young man is welcomed into the home, a series of accidental deaths seem to be connected to his presence. Ooh. So, Sharon, do you want to start us off on this one? Um, yeah. Uh, so I've got to be honest from the start, though, that you know, this guy is creepy creepy as like it starts with him running and not sweating when he gets to the door who can run that far and not sweat <laughs> we already know something's <laughs> wrong here um yeah psychopaths do not sweat no no and uh yeah you're kind of screaming at the screen a little when the mom's like come in come into my home oh god no he's creepy he's creepy um but it does keep you yeah like you want to know what's going on. You definitely want to know what's going on. Like the, he's just staring vacantly into the distance or at a wall or holding someone's gaze. There's always something where you're like, no, I, I need to know what, what's up with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's- the way his, uh, Dan Stevens, who plays the soldier, uh, the way his facial expressions change from like super friendly, happy go lucky, like, boy next door to just like shark eyes dead (laughs) is amazing yeah and i'm just i'm just sat there going this is the guy from downton abbey (laughs) and also like the live action beauty and the beast and he's terrifying terrifying he is he is like i just sat there the whole time wondering is he a robot no he drank water earlier it's fine i don't need much sleep is that because you're a robot no no he's definitely human (laughs) He's definitely human. It was, um, yeah. It was a trip. Yeah. And just, yeah, uh, so I mean, like... there some, some things that the family did that just didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, like the dad suddenly changing his mind so quickly about the guy. He goes mm-hmm. from having an argument with the mum to then suddenly being like, yeah, we'll suck back some beers and I'll tell you all my problems. Stay a few days. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the family are very welcoming. And I don't know if it's just, you know, they're grieving. They're going through this horrible experience of losing a son and trying to hold on to anything linked to him. Yeah. Or if it's just, you know, that's who they are. It's that polar opposite between, you know disturbed person coming into their house and then being super friendly and welcoming and mm. always giving everyone the benefit of the doubt mm. I can't can't tell which it is if it's just their grief clouding their judgment or if it's just who they are or if it says something about America's deeply rooted respect for anyone who's ever been in the army so you I mean, this is also a valid point. Yeah, you automatically trust them. 
Or like the dad said, you never know if they have PTSD and they're just going to flip out. But he quickly lost that, <laughs> that worry, <laughs> as soon as they had a couple of beers. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Um... <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I also really enjoyed how like the dad offers uh, the soldier, David is the name of the character, a beer. And the daughter's like, can I have one? And he's like, no, you can't have one until you're 21, which is a month away. Yeah. I find that like really tells you something about the family values. That's true. How they're, they're very rigid and maybe a bit strict. And I think mm. that comes out later on when they're talking about the daughter's boyfriend. And how she's been hiding this relationship from her family for a while. That maybe this happy-go-lucky family is quite conservative, which would add validation to your, you know, he's in the military, we trust him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. Mm. Um, I also mm. really like the feel of this film it's very 80s yeah 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 the soundtrack and the whole even the opening credits you're like is this a stephen king film no oh i was like john john carpenter oh yeah yeah <laughs> so, so like the way it shot the kind of new wave synth soundtrack yeah um and it starts it starts quite slow i mean you're over half way through the film before any of the real action starts um so yeah i mean it kind of leads up with like things are a little bit off where david comes in the brother the youngest son is being bullied at school and he kind of comes in to protect him and get back at the bullies mm. in a not very healthy way no no not at all. But again, I was like, "This is—is is he the Terminator?" But no, but they're just mm. so, just the sudden, clever, clever violence, clever violence. It all yeah, seemed very pre-planned, and I want to know what a fireball is. <laughs> well, he he asked the guy. I think it was what was it like Tabasco, tomato juice, like extra chili. And part of me was like, did he just order it to then throw in the boy's face? Because he knew it would burn. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like he knew exactly what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that whole scene in the bar where he's getting back at the boy's bullies, it starts off quite comical. Like, I want to order them these really feminine drinks to kind mm -hmm. of insult them. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like he's enjoying the game and then, you know, it goes from friendly, outgoing to shark eyes. White Death space. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to beat everyone up. But mm -hmm. he, like, he does just beat them up. And yeah. He doesn't, you know, the real turning point in the film is the quarry scene, I feel. Yeah. So he asks the daughter's friends, the drug dealer friends, to 
get hold of guns for him and he goes to this quarry to see the guns mm-hmm. and it's all friendly chatty i have money no need to worry um and then he's like i'm gonna take all the guns and kill you and that switch goes from just you know slightly unhinged to death machine yeah and i think that's where i got a little bit confused because uh, you're still at that point kind of waiting to know what he's doing there like you know he's like super violent but what why has he come there like it wasn't just to you know it's not just to say hi to the family you know there's something deeper than that Mm -hmm. and if it's protecting the family why why kill the gun guy was he just trying to get rid of the bad influences in the daughter's life or something or was that his idea of protecting her I think so because I think after he kills them he then plants the gun in the boyfriend's van to get him out of her life yeah um and already the the daughter's beginning to suspect things. Mm-hmm. She she's just like she knows something's not right, but she can't put her finger on it. Um, I think one scene, like just after the quarry scene, is he's David is carving pumpkins with the son, oh, Luke, yeah. and it. It's like he's never carved a pumpkin before. He's like, what do I do? And the son's been like, you know, take the top off and scoop out the guts. Which really has like those Terminator vibes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Where have you been your whole life that you don't know how to carve a pumpkin? Are you a robot? No, you're not a robot. We know you're not a robot, but yeah. Yeah. It's just like super weird also like one thing about this film is i'm not sure when it's set obviously there's mobile phones involved but i'm like they're old flip phones like is it set in the early Mm. 2000s the daughter and her friends seem to keep wearing like super high knee high socks like over the knee socks which i feel are very early 2000s yeah and some of the cars like you can't really play stuff in america set in America on cars because quite a lot of people have quite old cars but Mm. it does have that kind of pre technology being available to the masses vibe to it Um, yeah oh have you frozen you froze for a bit you've come back (laughs) so yeah that pre-technology being massively available vibe is interesting I think maybe that's to kind of keep it in line with kind of that 80s vibe like they took it back Mm -hmm. maybe as early as they could to get that feeling or aesthetic Yeah. yeah and maybe so you didn't have that complication of you know, he's just got a burner phone, you can't really trace it, there wouldn't have been that how can we pinpoint where this guy is kind of thing, just get that out of the way by not having the technology available. I find it hilarious that he tells everyone he's got a burner phone. He's like, oh, I've got a burner phone. I'm like, yeah. no, no one would know I love it if you didn't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> why, why did you keep telling everyone you've got a burner phone? It makes everyone more suspicious of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not a crappy temporary one, no, a burner one. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Um, anyway, we get then after the pumpkin carving, we get to the scene where the sister overhears him having a phone call and you you know you don't know exactly what's happening on the phone call but you get the impression that he has a secret mm. and he's mm. on the run from something which mm. alerts suspicions of the daughter and she then rings the army to try and find out who he is and why he's there which i always find hilarious um because I'm just like, does data protection just not exist anywhere right. in the world? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's another just... reason it's set why it was. <laughs> Maybe. You <laughs> can ring up anywhere and get information on anyone. Um, so, yeah. And then, like, the, the daughter then confronts David in front of the whole family. Um, and the dad is furious that she is confronting David. And, like, has a huge go at her. And then he's like, oh, well, I need a drink now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's yeah, priority. I think there's a lot to be said for that family's loyalty to each other. There are a few things. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, mm -hmm. some questionable moments about what that family decides, where they side with this complete stranger and not their own family, that I find very strange. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It, it is very strange but in that scene where he's like i came because i made a promise to caleb which is the eldest son um i felt like that was genuine like he's helping in his own way it's not necessarily what other people would view as helping um yeah it, and again in that there's a scene in the principal office after the youngest son gets in trouble for fighting. Mm. And it it's a very clever scene and I enjoy it. And right at the end where the principal's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm a friend of the family. And his face is so disturbing in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it just really creeps me out. Like, how, how friendly and joyous his facial expressions is. And he's just manipulated a situation to play out exactly how he wants it yeah 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 mm -hmm. my question is why was he at that meeting in the first place you've known this guy two days and you're taking him into school with you <laughs> well on the first day the mum sends him to pick up the son from school yeah hi stranger go collect my son <laughs> I, I think it does say something about the trustingness of american people to anyone who's been in the forces uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It, it's a really weird dynamic. Mm. Um, yeah. I think also, so then after this scene in the principal, it kind of goes to the military section of the film 
where the military police come to try and find David mm-hmm. to take him in. Um, and suddenly the mum, Mrs. Peterson, realises all is not what it seems. Mm-hmm. And she just seems so confused. Yeah. Yeah. Poor thing. <laughs> the military police are like, when did you last see him? And she's like, he, he just went inside. <laughs> it's a good reveal. <laughs> the sheep blowing away. And David stood there with a basket of washing behind mm-hmm. the sheet. Um, mm-hmm. The gunfight is is quite fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just felt bad for the house. Like, you ruined that house. Oh, the po- <laughs> He died yeah. through a window. It was shot up with bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> everything was destroyed. Yeah. Shot to shit. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I also particularly like where he's hid under the bed and he shoots the guy in the foot. The guy falls, sees him and goes, oh, shit. (laughs) 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 Who else under the ankle, though, honestly? (laughs) Just like that split second of, like, comedy value was mm. really good. And mm. like, when David's crawling around the house trying to avoid all these bullets, it's some really weird camera angles. Like, I feel like all the other camera angles to do with the house felt like you are in the house, but there's one where it's really zoomed out so you can see him fully crawling along the floor, mm-hmm. which is was a really interesting shot. I felt like it just didn't fit in quite with the rest of the film mm-hmm. because... It went from making it feel shot on site to shot in a studio. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So David then escapes the house um, and goes on the run in the car, followed by the last standing military police person, the leader of them. I really um, wanted him to survive. He was such a badass. <laughs> he just had the whole like, I'm going to win this kind of look to him. And yeah. I yeah. recognize him from loads of things, but unfortunately do not know his name. I know he gets about, I feel like, was he in The Wire? Oh, I might never have been, might have been the head detective in The Wire. I might have just dug myself a hole there. Um, but I do do really like him. Um, I think he adds some kind of gravitas gravitas to most roles that he plays. Um, I'm going to have to look it up now. Please excuse my keyboard typing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like he just is really good at what he does. Lance Redrick okay. is his name. Please tell me he was in the wire. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed him. I wanted him to survive as well. Yeah. Um, and I, did he die? I thought he was just stabbed in the arm. I was pretty sure he died. 
I thought he was just stabbed in the arm because it it's revealed after after the cafe scene. So the the daughter leaves with this head military person, and um, David goes to the cafe to find her. Um, he just in the cafe scene, he's just given up trying to be nice. He mm. he makes like some of the facial expressions and noises of like you know an office worker given a massive pile of paperwork on a Friday at four <laughs> o'clock, and he's just like, oh, I suppose I've got to do this. Um, I suppose I've got to kill all you people. Oh, it's, a, it's such a hard life. Yes, he was in the wire. I did not okay, make right. this up. Um, but yeah, he's just like resigned that he has to do it. Just it's kind of like phoning it in now. There's mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> no pretense that he's a nice guy, but at the same time, he's not taking any enjoyment in it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Just like, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny <laughs> and uh the head military guy he he's in the car with the daughter and explains kind of why david is the way he is mm-hmm. i feel like there are still a lot of unanswered questions after this yes like who is he really is he really this david person or not yeah did he really know the brother um like yeah. yeah, because then he, he went and got some plastic surgery or whatever. Or that was the idea. He was never confirmed, but that mm-hmm. was what the brother was talking to him about. Like, oh my sis when he just ratted out his sister. Um, yeah, my sister thinks you're this person and this happened and this happened. Oh, where's your loyalty, brother? Yeah. I, I mean again, too trusting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um you never it's never really confirmed never really mm-hmm. confirmed and gotta be honest i smell a sequel or the opportunity for a sequel because of that but i would i would love a sequel this came out in 2014 mm-hmm. um i think i read i read some interviews because at the time i had an empire film subscription mm-hmm. i read an article with dan stevens and he was like i've never never had to get in shape for a film before and it was hard work mm-hmm. and I don't think I will ever do it again <laughs> and, and how his wife was just like it feels like I'm married to a different man right now um, so yeah I think he found it very hard work to get into that amount of shape for this film Mm-mm. but it really pays off he is so good in this role so yeah. convincing yeah um and you know i feel often it's like as we've talked about his switch between facial expressions and even when he's just sat there staring in space the the like effort to just not engage with anything mm-hmm is a talent within itself I feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes really well he does really well with you know being that friendly gaining people's trust and you believing in what he's doing yeah to then just 
becoming a death machine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked a little bit at the end where they go to the school and it's they're setting up for the Halloween dance. Oh, yeah, the community Um, hall. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like this, although it's never really emphasised, the fact that it's set around about Halloween adds to that creepy quality. It's just, like, subtly there in the background. Mm -hmm. Um just adding that little bit extra yeah which yeah. is nice yeah so yeah they go so the the daughter goes there the son luke is already there setting up for the halloween party and there's a creepy maze uh <laughs> i loved this scene i just loved the fact you're like where is their budget for this Halloween dance this is amazing the amount of work that's gone into this and it just gave you such an amazing backdrop to mm-hmm. the insanity is that is the final part of the film it yeah and the extra creepiness of because it's Halloween and all those weird like statues and corners and you're like you're kind of watching it like oh god is he just going to jump out from somewhere is mm-hmm. he just going to jump out from somewhere it, yeah it yeah yeah and like the mirror there's a hall of mirrors mm. um which is utilized really well mm-hmm. um but not like overly played up um it's it's just really well paced the ending um and poor luke the youngest son as you said is still so trusting uh, yeah. <laughs> he just can't believe david would do all this no, no. <laughs> It's yeah. normal. fella. Yeah. I know. So yeah, we won't actually give away the ending. No. But I, I do think it is a vastly underrated film. Yeah. No, it is it is there was no point where I got bored. Like you constantly got something you're waiting to find out about or something new is happening, or just the pacing of it was really really well thought out and you'd kind of drip fed little bits of information Mm -hmm. throughout or little quirks of somebody doing something that it just kept you completely enthralled I think the whole time so yeah it's definitely a thriller yeah I mean we haven't talked about a rating system for films oh because I feel it's a film podcast maybe we should have a rating system yes we should (laughs) (laughs) i i I feel like the simple rings so i mean we have another film that we're going to talk about in a little bit that i feel to me how i would describe as meh (laughs) so bad bad meh good yeah meh is kind of middling yeah 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 so, so yeah. this one, in my opinion, definitely good. Yeah, definitely good. Yeah, strong yeah. good. Yeah, maybe, maybe we need a higher level of good to, yeah. you know, signify excellent film. <laughs> <laughs> good verging on excellent. Yes, yes. I would definitely recommend it to other people. I would. Yeah, yeah. Good. Very good. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. So the next film on the list is Book Smart, and I've already jumbled a form of notes. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. So this is on ITV. No, it's not. It's on BBC. Booksmart on BBC iPlayer. Mm-hmm. On the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realise they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. Yeah. And hilarity ensues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think there was definitely an era of these cute little coming of age films that were super quirky and like almost a jumping off board for a lot of actors like there's a lot of familiar faces in this film as well um Mm -hmm. yeah but I would say definitely a very fun little film with moments yeah yeah Yeah. I feel like this film for me was one of the first kind of teen films that didn't fall into kind of like two categories so it's one category where i feel people are just trying to copy john hughes films and mm-hmm. um, so like easy air yeah um and some other kind of teen comedies are just like john hughes ripoffs which is fine i enjoy them show that style that's fine mm-hmm. or you know super serious school dramas kind of like Gus Van Sant's bully oh yeah um yeah so or like we need to talk about Kevin or something like that so this to me felt quite unique mm-hmm. because you know it's not trying to do that kind of all-american John Hughes thing and it's not trying to be super serious like raising yeah. a big issue or point it just it's about these two girls and their friendship yeah and realizing that you know not everyone's a stereotype not everyone is one thing you can be multiple things Mm -hmm. to multiple people Mm -hmm. we don't have to fit in these rigid societal boxes yeah um uh, i mean I've made this very serious, but it is a very fun film. It is. It is. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. It's um Yeah, it's not all about and there are tones of it, but I'm very happy that it isn't about being the prettiest or hooking up with the guy or all about this desperate need for romance. It's just wanting to have fun mm-hmm. for once. And yeah. Yeah, it was refreshing. Yeah, <laughs> in so a world. The, the two uh, friends that are the focus of this attention in this are Molly and Amy, and they're both like, you know, straight-A students, have their whole life planned out in front of them. Molly is going to be the youngest, uh, I can't remember if it's like... Senate. She wanted to be on the Senate, didn't she? Yeah, youngest Senate member ever, and uh, Amy wants to go off to have a gap year, year, go off to Africa, discover herself, then go to college. And that's all they've done their whole lives is work towards these goals. Mm-hmm. And it's their day before their graduation. And what I found interesting is this policy in their school that 
no one would talk about where they were going to college. Yeah. And then they're surrounded by all these jocks, um, you know, the usual cliches, the jocks, the nerds, the drama kids, the rich kids. And um, they, the two girls have put them in boxes, mm-hmm. like just convinced that they will never amount to anything and yeah. they'll never do anything with their lives because they don't know where they're going to college. And then it comes out that all these kids that they thought would do nothing with their life have been accepted to good schools. Um, And that that just destroys Molly's world. She just cannot comprehend that all these kids that have been having fun and doing extra things outside of school are just as good as her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it really challenges like your perception of self or yeah. Molly's perception of self. Yeah. Um, where she just has like this mental health breakdown where it's like how have they you know been allowed to be kids and still been successful mm-hmm. um, yeah they've been normal teenagers she's taken things very seriously they've both ended up with the same outcome mm-hmm. yeah 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 and I think it was her that put that role in, rule in that no one could talk about it because of her yeah. sense of superiority, she didn't want to make other people feel bad about how well she was doing. Uh, and it just came around and bit her in the ass. So, yeah. Yeah. But I like the way that they're not like the stereotypical nerd kids either. Like they do have a sense of fun and stuff to themselves. Even though they've not been popular or something, you could see that those two did do fun things together. And they weren't just the boring, always head in a book kind of people. They did have their own level of self I guess in a way that yeah Mm -hmm. you know they haven't gone with the whole glasses with a piece of like masking tape holding them together wearing grey hiding in the corridor (laughs) kind of nerd they were regular teenagers who just didn't party but yeah 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 they're not poindexters they're just they're normal kids just without that added fun element Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, because they have that fun element, but they don't have that outward social element. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. the fun element, not the social element. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it then leads to kind of this fish out of water story, really, where suddenly they're like having to navigate all these social circles mm-hmm. in advance of, well, as they go along, really, and they're just keep getting into these scrapes classic mm. scrapes yeah um of, yeah. you know turning up at they're trying to get to this one party of the most popular guy in school and of course they don't have the address so it's their journey to try and get to this last party and there's some there's some brilliant characters in it um there's a character called Gigi played by Billy Lord my favourite person in that whole film. Mine too. I can watch Billy Lord in anything. She is so good. Um, And she's just, she plays things so well. Like I've seen her in American Horror Story Mm. um, before and obviously she's played different characters within that and she can do serious, she can do crazy. Like in this, she is just 
fantastic. She is just joy whenever she turns up on the screen. Yeah. 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 If the, if this film had come out when I was a teenager, I would have modelled my life around her. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be that. <laughs> she just gives no fucks whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. is just so much fun and mm. just doing her own thing doesn't care about anyone else's perception of her mm. um and keeps dragging other people into her crazy mm-hmm. um she's absolutely fantastic and Gigi's best friend is a guy called Jared who is such a tryhard like the most such an adorable tryhard like he he's really trying to make friends and form relationships with people but you know it's not coming off as genuine and Mm. as we get later into the film we discover that actually he's just been hiding his real interest and being who he thinks other people want him to be yeah and he he actually can't wait to go to college to actually find people that are interested in what he likes yeah um but he he's such like this nice guy and all these people are like mean to him and dismissive of him and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it goes into that theme of you know you can't take everyone at face value you can't make those snap judgments yeah of people because until no go ahead until you actually sit down and have a conversation with them you you can't have that level of understanding yeah and I think, like, despite they're not, there's no scene of outward bullying in this film where, you know, no kids getting slammed into a locker or, you know, pantsed after school or something. All the bullying is so subtle. And it is that stereotyping, like, where the girl's talking in the car about how everyone has this nickname for her and how mm-hmm. how much it's hurt her. Or where he's saying, like, no one, like, where um, Jared's saying no one really understands me, blah, blah. But he will just drop whatever he's doing to help out Molly, is it? Yeah. Like, it's just that... Uh, so desperate for someone to appreciate him that he'll just mm-hmm. drop whatever he's doing and go and rescue her. Like, and I feel like she's kind of using him a little bit. A lot in that film. But I, f- I feel like that is part of her character to begin yeah. with, that she is so motivated and driven, she uses other people to elevate her own Mm self-esteem and also get what she wants Mm -hmm. um and i think part of the story is her learning to appreciate people yeah and realize that she doesn't have to be alone yeah and although she's had that friendship with amy there's a bit towards the end of the film where they have that malala pact where if one of them says Malala, the other has to do what the other one wants. And Molly invokes it kind of midway through the film and Amy goes along with her because, mm. you know, she's invoked the law of Malala. But when Amy does it to Molly, she rejects that. Yeah. And it's a turning point where suddenly Molly realises that Amy was doing it to try and benefit her and help her, not just for herself. Yeah. And I think then it creates more appreciation for Amy. Um, and yeah, I think 
It's maybe a story of Molly getting her head out of her own arse. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the more I thought about it, I was like, I really don't like her. Like, I just don't enjoy her character at all. Like, as you just saw how she was treating people and stereotyping people and you kind of, you go in imagining, okay, the two main characters, oh, they've never partied or anything. And then you're like, maybe that's why. Mm. Because, Yeah. She's Maybe kind of... Molly's been holding her back. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's this uh, conversation Molly has with Jared towards the end of the film where Jared kind of says, you know, people don't like me for trying hard. And she says that, you know, you try hard. That's why people don't like you. And he's like, well, you do. Mm-hmm. You try hard. You try hard every day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about you. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. Oh, Molly. There's a lack of self-awareness there. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Which I think a lot of teenagers do have in real life. They don't realise how their actions influence other people and they don't realise that, you know, the world is made up of a lot of different people and if we were all the same it would be really boring. Oh, it would be terribly boring. Yeah. <laughs> it would be so boring. So th- there's a couple of weird scenes in this film. Is the taxi scene. Yeah. Where they they get a lift, get in and discover it's their principal, who's yeah. moonlighting as a lift driver, um, after school and Amy is having some kind of first time sex anxiety mm-hmm. and Amy is trying to calm her down and going well we can just watch some porn you know um, like having your first experience as a, a gay woman should be like really straightforward because it's just what you do to yourself to another woman and Amy's still very anxious about this mm-hmm. and then they start watching porn in the the taxi with the principal and then the sound goes really loud and it's just such an awkward scene it is and that noise what exactly <laughs> are they watching because it sounds more like plumbing <laughs> than it does any kind of Bodily movement. I have no idea how to put it. <laughs> I love, I love, uh, is it Jason Sudakis? Yeah. Who yeah. is the the principal taxi driver? And he's just like, what is this? Is this Cardi B? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just... No, it is good. It is I good. mean, it's a very awkward scene but I do I do really appreciate that this film does talk about you know teenagers um dealing with that kind of transition to adulthood and first time sex and you know a queer story Mm. um which I feel is often missing from high school based films yeah and you know, having a conversation about female masturbation is quite a groundbreaking yeah. thing to have in mainstream cinema. Yeah. Just so like having an 
entire like movie franchise about a guy shagging an apple pie. Very <laughs> a word of of a girl enjoying herself. You know, like experimenting and figuring out her own body. Oh no. no, no. But this guy can shag an apple pie. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's way more acceptable. Yeah, yeah. No, it is refreshing. It's um, and there are a lot of like I think like the whole <coughs> spectrum of people is kind of touched upon in this film as well just mm-hmm. there's the two incredibly camp guys who run maybe one of the best murder mystery parties i've ever seen <laughs> it's so the production values are yeah. just so high yeah yeah and um yeah the the girl that i keep getting them mixed up is it amy or molly Molly is the dark-haired one. Amy is the blonde-haired one. So the girl that Amy's got her eye on, that they automatically box as being lesbian, but maybe she's bi, or we don't know. And, yeah, it's, it's again, that assumption that's been put there. And Yeah, but, like, a girl, so the girl Amy likes is called Ryan, and mm-hmm. she's, like, this happy-go-lucky, stoner, skater girl who is very tomboyish and instantly is... Well, it's not actually instantly. Like, Molly seems to be like, go, go talk to Ryan, go on a date. And Amy's like, well, we don't even know if she's gay. We don't don't know. No. So, although a lot of people do assume that Ryan is gay, Amy is very conscious that maybe she's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like Amy is a lot more open to people than Molly is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a good kind of yin yang there. There is, you know, yeah. like straight cop, friendly cop. But yeah, um, I mean, talking about the theatre kids' party mm. and the production values and that—that's that. It, it's really fun. Because we have more Billy Lord being Gigi. Yeah. <laughs> Just being fantastic. Um, and then it gets a bit weird with the Barbie scene. Yeah. It, it's a bit jarring, the Barbie scene, I feel. Yeah. I feel like that's the only real thing for me that spoils the flow of the film a bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if this was maybe a conscious decision by the director to kind of talk a little bit about female body expectations yeah because there is that element to it but it also it was also maybe the shortest trip I've ever heard of (laughs) (laughs) as they're laying on the so Gigi has spiked them at a previous party and then they go to the theatre kids party. Gigi tells them that they've been spiked and suddenly they're having a trip. Yeah. And within a few minutes, they're laying on the grass outside the party and they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little suspicious, really. (laughs) I found it very funny that the, the trip didn't kick in until Gigi tells them about it and then it's over within like 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, where they just think they've turned into dolls and they've got the same hallucination. 
Sorry, can you repeat that? You cut out for a second. Yeah. Strange. Strange. But it did jar a bit. Like, sometimes it seems like that. Yeah, with scenes like that where they've just suddenly thrown an animation in, I do sometimes wonder if they have some favour or, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, my friend needs a job. Yeah, throw an animation in here. But, um, it, kind of, yeah. it kind of reminded me of the standard of quality of, uh, I don't know if you watched it in the 90s, a Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh, yeah, I love that. MTV... Mm. Um, animation where you know plasticine celebrities would battle each other. It had that quality to it. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of manicness to the tone mm -hmm. of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's a cute little thing but it, it almost feels like it's been shoved in. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. One one thing I really want to talk about in this is that it's full of really supportive adults and parents. Um, you you don't see anywhere in this film really that you know dictatorish adult telling the kids that they can't do anything or you know having arguments with the kids over what they've done. Mm. Um, they're very supportive of their, you know, their teenagers having fun and working hard, playing hard, kind of, you know, acceptance of yeah. them. I think Amy's parents, one of them is Lisa Kudrow. Um, <laughs> they're just like such nice adults. And you also get that with the, the teachers of the principal and also their, like, English teacher. Mm -hmm. um, just like, yeah, I'll give you a lift. Yeah, I'll help you out. Like, yeah. you're, only, you're only young once. You may as well go and experience life while you can instead of... I mean, the English teacher says this, that she was a goody-two-shoes, worked really hard and then got to college and tried to cram everything in and had a few questionable experiences mm -hmm. and just letting letting the kids figure out sorry my computer just beeped uh figuring out who they are um mm -hmm. on their own terms which i really enjoy yeah yeah i did i did enjoy the uh dad's entire menu of supportive snacks <laughs> I wouldn't have gone out. I'd be like, hey, Dad, I want to eat all the food that you have prepared. Yeah, yeah. or have some dinner and then go out. I don't know. Your parents put a lot mm -hmm. of effort into that special meal. I'd feel terrible. But, um, the dad yeah. gets so emotional when he's like, oh, you're going out. Oh, but I've done all this stuff because I love you. And it's like, oh, watching mm. his heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So eventually... They, they do make it to the final party. Um, and when they arrive, there is a very weird dance fantasy scene. Yeah. Again, this was like the animation. Just kind of thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know if it is actually like a weird callback to the John Hughes films where it's like, oh, we must have a dance or a song number in a, a teenage <laughs> comedy. <laughs> I mean, it's totally not that vibe. It is kind of like a modern dance scene. Um, and it, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. 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 It, um... I mean, it's. It kind of, I suppose it gives you an insight into how her brain works. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't That's know whether we needed it, though. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it. it's very good. Like, it works really well, but the, there's the Barbie scene, the Barbie animation, and this dance scene that could have been cut for me, and it still would be a very coherent yeah. film. Um. Yeah. I mean, they get to the final party, and there are some fun scenes at the party. So I really like the karaoke scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. Yeah. And also, that's totally something that would happen mm -hmm. at a party. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just do some karaoke. And yeah. the theatre kids have somehow also managed to turn up at this party as well. Yeah. Um so yeah, I really like the karaoke scene. And there is a very awkward scene with Amy's first kind of sexual experience, which is is an awkward scene, but I think mm -hmm. it speaks truly of you know anyone's first sexual experience. Like it doesn't really go according to plan. No, it's definitely realistic. Things like taking shoes off. Mm -hmm. Thank you, someone, for remembering that we have to do these things to take <laughs> jeans off. Your shoes have to come off first. Yeah. There's something quite cute and real about it. Yeah, yeah. it does feel very real. And I think um, I think a lot of teenagers have this kind of rose-tinted glasses, idealised version of, you know, how your first sexual experience will be. And I think having this realistic experience <laughs> is a lot more true to life. It's a lot mm -hmm. more af affirming and reassuring to people that, you know, look, yeah. it, it gets better as you get older and, you know, you build up trust with people. Yeah. Your first time is never going to be this wonderful bed of roses. Nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, th this scene, of course, something something bad happens that escalates it to that. Sorry, hilarious. <laughs> I, before we started, I was like, I should get Sharon to mute her phone, and then I completely forgot. Okay, no, no, no. Okay. Um, but yeah, something happens in this scene that goes from you know bad to worse mm -hmm. and um has that kind of shock or oh, no element to it yeah. um i do feel bad for amy but you know at the end you you see that it's not that bad and yeah the the girl that she's shared this experience with doesn't hate her and you know still wants to talk to her and see her mm -hmm. which which is lovely and kind of goes to the theme of 
forgiveness yeah and understanding and i think that is really the journey of the film mm-hmm. is people make mistakes people aren't just one thing and to have some level of understanding will benefit you throughout your life yeah yeah um, i think one of my favorite scenes at the party is where they dive in the pool and you mm. just have this like moment of her swimming and like looking at legs and like just doing something crazy for the first time like jumping into a pool at a party and you can really get that sense of like that freedom and that I don't know it's just it just felt like a really nice scene like you could imagine doing that yourself like you've just jumped into a pool and you're just like this is amazing this is freeing this is being a bit nuts and just seeing the world through a different lens, that's it. That whole looking through the the blue of the water. And it unfortunately doesn't end very well, but uh, <laughs> beforehand you're like, that's such a happy teenager moment, that that experience um, and seeing things through that lens. But yeah, I enjoyed that little, little scene. Yeah, I enjoyed as well. that as well. I think... Yeah. <laughs> and that scene, of course, leads to the Malala, invoking of Malala to leave. And, invoking of Malala. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that kind of like sets up towards the end of the film where Molly's realising that she hasn't been the best friend and she has been very judgmental and actually beginning to be more human and less mm-hmm. self-serving. Um, mm-hmm. That was, I feel like having her friendship put at jeopardy suddenly makes her appreciate Amy a lot more. And I yeah. I felt that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Do you want to talk about kind of the ending um is it too much of a spoiler yeah all i'm gonna say is gg billy lord steals the show right at the end (laughs) (laughs) she she is magnificent (laughs) i know it's a story for Molly and amy but honestly gg at the end is just magnificent and i think Jared also gets his moment mm-hmm. to, you know, just be the the best. He is yeah. the one that needs to be protected at all costs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny you end that film siding with the rich kids? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because we're all I supposed know. to hate them, but actually, but. Yeah. <laughs> It's not their fault. Yeah, that's so true. The rich kids at the end are like my two favourites. So maybe we are moving away from those teenage high school film tropes where the rich kids are bullied and should be hated at all costs to actually seeing them as human beings as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So definitely a good film for me. Yeah, a good film. A good happy little watch. Yeah. So yeah. 
true crimes or dark crimes. Um, oh, I'm just going to apologize <laughs> in advance. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this is this film is about a murder investigation of a slain businessman um, turns to clues found in an author's book about an eerily similar crime. This is based on uh, the 2008 article True Crimes, a postmodern murder mystery by David Graham, um, which is why it originally was called True Crimes. Uh, but the article was actually based on the book Amok by Christian Bala, where he described the murder, a murder he'd actually committed. Um, so when they read the book, they then went on and found out that he had committed these crimes and he got caught for it. So it is based on a true story, but the film is actually about the art. It, the film follows the article as opposed to the original book. Okay, um, I didn't know. I didn't know this, and already the true story sounds more interesting than the film. <laughs> yeah. So they did change the film slightly um, to make it into a film. And I imagine it was quite a good article. Um, but I can't say that about the film. <laughs> I did read about this briefly because I Wikipedia'd it afterwards. And the article that is based mm. on the the guy David Grant who Grant who wrote the article seems to have a lot of his works and writings turned into films. There's quite a few things options at the moment. And he wrote an article about the Lost City of Z, which is was made into a film with Charlie Hunman um, in it. And I watched it, and it's it's an alright film. Like, it was mm -hmm. enjoyable in parts. So I don't think this is a reflection on the quality of his writing at all. No. No. No, I think uh, it's one of those where you can kind of understand what they were trying to do. But, mm. yeah. So I've watched it and I've tried to find as much positiveness about it as I can. Um, well, did, I did you want to say something about it before I go? <laughs> well, I mean, in my early 20s, I worked at an independent cinema that had a lot of independent foreign films shown there mm -hmm. and um at the time the cinema was in a public access building and all the screens were off of like public access stairwells so the insurance that they had at the time meant that someone had to sit in with the film for like security health and safety reasons so i've watched a lot of bad foreign films a loss from working at this cinema <laughs> <laughs> and I think maybe my tolerance for this was a bit higher based on this experience in my life where I was just like oh it's it's definitely not the worst thing I've ever watched um however yeah. it's not good either no. um and one of the things that became prominent from the off is that it's trying to mimic you know scandy detective dramas yeah. badly it's not pulling it off you know it doesn't have that gritty gritty quality to it it doesn't have those smooth kind of silences you know pensive tension well it doesn't 
pull it off at all. And I was wondering if maybe something was lost in translation because it is a Polish production. Um, mm -hmm. Whether or not it being translated to English, just it lost some of those elements. And it reminded me, I used to listen to a lot of Mark Kermode's film reviews, uh, the show he did with Simon Mayo, and mm -hmm. Kermode said, I can't remember if it was in one of these episodes or in one of the books that I've read of his, that when people go and watch foreign films, often they elevate it to this higher level because, you know, it makes them feel a bit superior that they're watching a foreign film and, you know, yeah. because they don't fully understand the language they focus on the subtitles and then not necessarily focus on the performances and he wonders if the perception of foreign films being a more cultured thing to watch often means that they get reviewed higher and I'm wondering if maybe the opposite happened for this where because it was translated it lost some of that gravitas that it would have had as a foreign film <laughs> Oh, yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it I mean the opening scene already I was like oh my gosh okay uh what are we watching here uh what have I chosen where you just I open to I, some I, weird underground sex dungeon thing um <laughs> weird like eyes wide shut uh hostile vibes coming from the opening scene it's, it's just like okay we're straight in then yeah straight in and i didn't know if i wanted to stay <laughs> um and then we go straight to a really sad breakfast um where yeah Main main character is played by Jim Carrey, um, and his family that don't seem to do very much except kind of. A lot of the characters seemed a lot very flat, very flat. Um, his wife, yeah, poor wife. I, I think he has a daughter because she like turns up twice, but I don't think he ever speaks to her. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as the movie goes on, this sense of loss is kind of lost in the first place because you never saw a good relationship there in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, Jim Carrey, like if you wanted to see Jim Carrey doing a serious role, he is really good. His acting in this, I think, is really good. Like the... Um, uh, if you wanted to see him... Uh, play a very raw any raw emotion I think he's done very well in this um, but we probably don't know this film for him because he's not told anyone and he doesn't want anyone to know about it like... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he was he was there to do a job and he's done exactly what was asked of him um, Yeah, and it made me think a little bit about another serious like detective film he did called the number 23 um Ooh, which yeah also isn't a great movie however he is very good in it in this serious mm -hmm. like detective noir 
thriller. Um, like, uh, yeah, so he can he can do serious, and we know this from uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and mm-hmm. Man on the Moon, um, and Truman Show. He he yeah. can do serious. I just feel like yeah. this, uh, like there's there's huge issues with it. So there's a lot of changing from location to location. I feel like we'll be somewhere and then suddenly we're somewhere else. Then suddenly we're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I got like lost. The lo- they're trying to tell the story. Mm. Yeah. They're trying to tell the story through the locations rather than dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like... I know a picture's worth a thousand words, but it's a film. I want some freaking dialogue to understand the relationships and what's going on. Like for a detective film, mm-hmm. I don't feel like there was that much investigating. No, nope. no. Nope. It took me ages to work out why they even got into it in the first place. Like it felt like you'd be watching it and just be like, what is going on? What is why have they gone there? What's happening? Oh. And then someone will eventually tell you. And you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. fine. Uh, we could have just had a little subtitle giving us a location there or, you know, explain to me what his role is. Like, we know he's got beef with this guy who's now the chief of police or whatever, but we don't really know why, except you're a rogue. He was a rogue cop or something, or they go on about his reputation oh, like of the- being, you know, a little bit... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing they go, you are the only honest cop left in Poland. And I'm like, okay. And then you're about halfway through the film before another another police officer's like, and this is why I put your ki- this case on your desk. So you would start investigating. Like, it's really disjointed. Yeah. Very, very disjointed. And, yeah. And there's absolutely yeah. no kind of lead up explanation introduction to the case you're just in it yeah yeah <sighs> and, uh, and the problem some... no go ahead i was just gonna say there's some really weird camera angles in this i feel like the the blocking the blocking of the scenes is really weird. Quite often, there'd just be scenes where you're looking at Jim Carrey's ass because it's like right in front <laughs> of the camera for no reason. <laughs> like as an interrogation scene where he goes over to speak to the writer that he's interrogating, and his whole body blocks the writer, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Jim Carrey's back is to the camera, and I'm just like who thought mm. this was a good idea um that i got very very bored of the, i got very bored of the, the constant portrait shots that yeah yes just this was my face, other face, point yeah like part of the problem with this is i feel like people were not playing off of each other they're not listening and reacting they're just saying the lines. Mm. Like, there's very mm-hmm. little interaction. And it was it was very prominent at the beginning because Jim Carrey puts, like, this interview tape into a tape recorder. And it doesn't sound like a normal interview at all. It's not people having a conversation. 
it's just two people rattling off lines, like pretty much on top of each other. Like they're just yeah. almost speaking over the top of each other. They ask a question, the answer comes immediately, and it it's not very natural at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah, I think one of the problems I had with this was it felt really slow. You weren't really sure what was going on. So I really started losing interest. And then about halfway through the film, things kind of speed up a bit and things happen really quickly then. So the pace of it completely changes where before, if you'd missed a bit of dialogue, it didn't matter. And I had to rewind three times just to catch what was said in certain scenes because I just, yeah, I just wasn't paying attention mm. anymore. <laughs> and then I'd suddenly missed a massively important piece of dialogue, like three seconds and you've you've lost the plot. Like, nah, yeah, mm. very slow. Uh, this this some absolute hilarious bits where Jim Carrey goes to arrest the writer and the writer's like, who are you? And he doesn't even tell him. He's not like, police, you're under arrest. Here are your rights. It's like, you're in handcuffs and I'm not telling you who I am and you're not getting your rights read to you. Like it's some basic yep. procedural stuff in a detective film that is completely missed. Mm. Uh, mm. I did even check they which, do use polygraphs in Poland still so that was real but yeah oh, yeah that seems absolutely stupid I mean yeah. again where was um, the investigation I don't know it, it just didn't make sense from what I could gather he was doing some filing and then Notice that there was a massive correlation between a book that his colleague had read and a murder investigation. And that's how it kind of started. But mm. yeah. 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 Um, um and I got I got quite um not excited, but I was relieved when um Charlotte Gainsbourg suddenly turned up. I was like, oh, oh, we have a female character. Yeah. That isn't a victim. This could this could get good, and then she disappears, and you're like, okay, when, when's she coming back? And then when she comes back, <laughs> she is just a victim, and all she does is now. I suppose there's a trigger warning in this of rape and sexual assault, and yeah, um, what happened, Charlotte? What happened? It. Well, I mean, <laughs> I must admit, Charlotte Gainsbourg she does bring a level of acting to this um, mm. that elevates it a little bit and she she also has history of being in films that often deal with you know dark sexual content um, so like mm -hmm. Lars von Tears Nymphomaniac she was one of the main oh, characters gosh, yeah. in it um, and she was in all three of his depression trilogy films. Um, so she, pro to me, I've actually written down that she gives the least wooden performance. <laughs> there, there, is, there is something about her when she turned up on the screen. I was like, oh, you know, someone's here that Jim Carrey can actually play off a little bit. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but it, oh, no. Like I'd written things like, if this film had a smell, it would be musty. Like you want to open some <laughs> windows. Um, everything. So not a bad thing. What like the stylization of it, like the the color palette, the set dressing. That was all really good. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Once you get past the motion sickness of it chopping and changing location every couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I was really caught up on the fact that there's no investigating happening. Like, they don't check the phone records. They don't check people's travel movements. Like, just, I could understand if he was, like, maybe a forensic psychologist and he, the interview scenes were more robust and he's, like, trying to get him to crack and break and confess and stuff, but that's not what it is Mm-mm. the interview scenes are quite empty and vacuous yeah yeah and you lose interest you immediately lose interest and then you suddenly you've missed a key part of like story needed dialogue and you just get confused just mm. confused and lost i was lost in poland <laughs> i was just lost in poland <laughs> there's a great scene where Jim Carrey goes to confront the guy that gave him the case in like a tanning salon yeah 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 (laughs) they have this conversation Jim Carrey confronts him and then he's like go away you were stealing my sunshine now fuck off out of my sunshine which I enjoyed because there'd been such a blue colour palette I was like oh tanning booth that's quite funny you've (laughs) You've just did to do that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. And also yeah. towards the end where Jim Carrey is beginning to get answers and every time he speaks to someone, he's like, You're going to sign a statement. You're gonna sign a statement. I was like <laughs> Yeah. This is the most power you have making people sign a statement. Yeah. Oh. I mean I don't know I I just I just yeah I feel like there could have been for all that first hour of the film that was just like nothing is happening this is really slow and I know it's based on an article and I know it's based on a true story but you had an opportunity there to look at why these women are doing these things in the first place. Like what's their situation. And I know Charlotte does talk about that towards the end a little bit, but it's so centered on these two main characters. I feel like you could have had something, you could have talked a little bit about that, but these women are just Mm -hmm. objects. Like, I don't know. You had an opportunity to give a bit more insight into the entire world of that and give it a bit more depth, I think. Because in all honesty, I don't give a flying fuck about the the writer or the investigator. I don't care about any of those people because they had no depth to them. There was nothing there to appreciate or enjoy as people. No, I found the writer very 
I found the writer very confusing because he he writes this book and it's in a very cold tone, treating these women as objects and animals and you know, they're there for the men's use and disposal. Mm. And he says he says pretty much the same thing in the interview. And then suddenly he's meant to be in love with Charlotte Gainsbourg's character and have this deep, meaningful relationship. And I just didn't I didn't get that at all. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and there was, even the, was he no go ahead um even if he was putting on this persona for his career um i didn't really get that either i felt like that was who he was so when you know you're trying to have some empathy for him loving charlotte gainsbourg's character i it just doesn't work no, no. And there was a line that I think Jim Carrey's character said, how could you let him, you know, the guy who was dead, how could you let him do these things if you loved her? He's an author. He's making a lot of money. She still feels the need to do this work because she needs to keep her daughter and herself safe. But like, I felt like that's where there could have been more story. Like how, for one, the whole, how are you letting him do this to her? She's the one who's working there blah 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 but yeah it just annoyed me so much it just really annoyed me I don't know as you've pointed out over and over again the issue with this is that there is no relationship building yeah yeah there's nothing yeah. to make you care about the characters no um, and you, you very kindly messaged me beforehand to say, you know, the uh, mother dies during this because I recently lost my mother last year. Um, but when it happened, I just had no emotion because no. there was no relationship there to be sad over the loss of because they hadn't built it up in any way. It's not like... No. You know, he went round and gave her dinner one night and then she turns up again and she's passed. And to yeah. all players, fair play to Jim Carrey, his emotion in that scene is brutal. He really mm -hmm. steps up to the plate to show his distress that his mother has died. But yeah. you didn't really understand their relationship no. to be invested in Jim Carrey's emotion. Yeah. To be honest, you kind of forgot that the mother existed because it's only at the very beginning of the film that mm. they have that. And like the, the mum says, I just don't want to die alone. And so then when it comes to that, if you can remember the beginning of the film at that point or any of that, then there's a teeny bit of, oh, you know why he's crying. But again, you're like, oh, OK. Um the mother saying that she didn't want to die alone had more of like an emotional reaction to me than her actual death, which yeah. Yeah. shows how little character development there is. Yeah. 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 And well, he's going through that entire thing, like he gets home to his empty house. You just kind of don't like, yeah, your wife and your kid have gone but we don't really know how close you were with them anyway. Like well, by, the, by that point, he's also had sex with Charlotte Gainsborough's character. Again, very convincing acting, Jim. 
very <laughs> the climaxing noises. <laughs> I, was like, I did not okay. <laughs> I did not need the close up of Jim Carrey's face during the climax. But it was incredibly realistic. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> oh my god! But at the same time, I'm just like, you know, this woman is very vulnerable. Yeah, and uh, there you are, kind of in a position of power, yeah. taking advantage of that. And I know she kind of instigates it, but you know, it's that whole issue of victims continuing abusive patterns because that's all they're familiar with and he does nothing to stop this no no had he just like handed her a robe would have been far better you know mm -hmm. but no no he's just as weak as the rest of those characters mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mm. I just, and another thing that really annoyed me, <laughs> we're all making it, this whole thing is about, you know, the the boss guy who gets murdered, the businessman or whoever it is that gets murdered, who we barely know anything about anyway. No, who was he? I don't know. He was a bad guy with sadistic, masochistic tendencies. That's pretty much all we know. <laughs> but in that whole thing, he uh, Jim Carrey gets access to those um, surveillance videos Mm -hmm. where we see a woman being carried out and looks dead. Did we ever look back into that? No, we didn't. No, we're still all bothered about this businessman who nobody cares about. Mm -hmm. That annoyed me so much. Like, you've probably got a, sh a slew of more investigations going on there where mm -hmm. women have gone missing. But, um, yeah, uh, nobody cares because it's just a sex worker. And, oh, my gosh, it just... Yeah, what? Why investigate the sex work and human trafficking and those issues when this important businessman was murdered? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that's... Like I said, they could have... They changed the true story for this film. They could have changed some more important bits, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I did enjoy the end. Not just because the film finished, but I liked the little kind of unexpected... I didn't see that coming. So, yeah. See, I'm going to be honest. As soon, as soon as that character turned up in the film... Yeah. I was like, that's the killer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm trying not to give any spoilers, but as soon as they turned up, I was like, that's the killer. Okay. I just, I just knew... No. I don't know if it's just I've watched a lot of these type of films. <laughs> but mm -hmm. um yeah, I I mean I I tend to be pretty good at figuring who the killer's gonna be in yeah. in murder films because usually there are just subtle clues that I pick up on. Um like usual suspects I knew who Kaiser Sose was immediately <laughs> I'd worked it out um, Seven I'd figured out what was going to happen before it actually happened I'm like yeah. I'm pretty astute to this yeah. um, 
and I do, I do feel it's a lot to do with casting. Um, it tends to be my trigger. So, you know, they will cast someone who is a stereotype of that or something like that, and I'll just go, oh, well, they're obviously the killer. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see Ed Harris in any films, <laughs> you know he's going to be a baddie, a murderer, like... You know Ed Harris is gonna be the bad guy as soon as he turns up in a film because he is so badly typecast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the twist at the end, I I was already there. Um, I did really like. I feel like the last scene. Suddenly, the cin- cinematography was stepped up. Yeah, and it was really well played out and paced and lit and like the conversation that happened was really well shot and I was yeah. like why couldn't have this been you know the other hour and a half of this film um yeah so yeah um <laughs> yeah so I mean I suppose if somebody I don't know how I could recommend this to anyone unless it was like a if if somebody has pissed you off in some way make them watch this film i don't know um yeah i wouldn't recommend this to anyone no it's somebody's favorite Um, film i'm sure but um you know unless you were writing a dissertation on the acting of jim carrey true um true uh and maybe you know wanted to explore his serious acting roles instead of just thinking about the mask or dumber and dumber mm-hmm. <laughs> then this is a very good film in yeah. his serious role repertoire yeah. Yeah. but the film is terrible the film is terrible the film is terrible um but i think i'd probably just give it a meh, meh. rating rather than a bad because i do feel like there are worse films out there yes you're right there are worse films there are yeah it's a meh it's, it's definitely yeah. a no. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like we were less, less ranty about it than we maybe expected. Yeah. There yeah. was no violent spewing of anger. No. <laughs> Just, no. You know, Just like a, a parent disappointed in their child. Yes, yes. We were disappointed by the film. Yeah. No, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah (laughs) yeah so i think we've now finished all three films that we have watched together and Mm -hmm. uh, now we're kind of in this free-for-all section where we can discuss anything we've watched or listened to away from each other okay um i have been listening to a couple of podcasts, mm-hmm. um, one of which is called Dopey. Okay. And I think actually I've been listening to Dopey because in preparation for this, mm-hmm. because um, I wanted to listen to a podcast where they had a bit of an awkward start and were getting used to being recorded and having a format and things like that. And it's about two recovering drug addicts who obviously are friends and they wanted to start a podcast that wasn't focused on, you know, recovery mm. where they could share war stories of their addictions. Oh, wow. And, and they tell 
these incredibly messed up stories, but with such humour um, that it it's just a re it's a really fun listen mm -hmm. um, because it's so far removed from my everyday life and my life experiences to listen to these two people talk about how deprived their lives were yeah um, and still being able to see the humor in it it's just it's I mean it's a hard listen but sometimes it's a delightful listen because you're just like what the fuck mm -hmm. how have you to survive this um and yeah I I found out about the podcast a couple of years ago there was an article on the BBC mm -hmm. um talking about how um they had this podcast and Unfortunately, I mean, I've never reached this point in the podcast, but one, unfortunately, at a point somewhere in the future of the episodes I'm listening to, one of them relapses and overdoses. Oh, no. Um, so I'm still in the beginning stages where Chris and Dave are trading war stories and, um, like, just having fun. And they're just basically saying that they struggle with people being so serious about recovery mm -hmm. and not being able to tell these stories in a way that isn't like regretful and shameful and they just mm -hmm. wanted to have this outlet and they get their friends on and really there are like bonkers stories yeah um and to be honest i'm kind of dreading getting to the point where Chris passes. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't, I, because I, I mean, I started listening to this knowing that's what's going to happen at some point um, because of the BBC article saying how, you know, this story, this podcast about trading war stories turned to more recovery focus after this event. Mm -hmm. um, and that basically what happens is Chris went on holiday, hurt himself gets prescribed painkillers and then relapses and then overdoses. Yeah. But Dave and Chris are just so wonderful together. And also they get Dave's dad on quite often, mm -hmm. who has obviously been through all this stuff with his son. And he's just like this friendliest, nicest guy ever. Um, and also I'm enjoying that Dave, he part of the podcast is he's trying to rebuild his relationship with his fiance after mm -hmm. years of drug abuse and um really be a father to his daughter yeah and because of that quite a lot of the early episodes he's like i'm i'm gonna have to cut out uh, cut out parts of this if my fiance vetoes them because <laughs> like i'm really focused on rebuilding our relationship yeah, I am not messing it up. I have worked mm -hmm. so hard to get her to take me back. Now I'm clean. I am mm -hmm. not putting a foot wrong, um, mm -hmm. and that's really kind of lovely and heartwarming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really like the awkwardness of the beginning episodes. It made me realise that you know you don't have to be perfect straight off the bat with the podcast. It might mm -hmm. take you a while to get your flow or get a format, and mm -hmm. it's okay to just waffle on a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. What's that on? Um, I think it's available through all podcast services. I listen to it on Stitcher, but I do know it's on iTunes as well. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I might give that a listen. Yeah, I mean, it is so different than a lot of the podcasts that I listen to. I listen to a lot of, like, murder <laughs> investigation podcasts um, or, you know, comedy podcasts that are actually just people telling real-life stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in a glamorous way, but definitely in a humorous way. is quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really really appreciate it yeah yeah i mean the the other podcast that i've been listening to is one on the from the bbc so it's on bbc sounds is uh it's called the cruelty and it's about a little boy who washes up on the shore i think um like the shore of the firth in scotland in the late 70s and it's about the community that found him and the effects that had on the community, but also trying to figure out who the the little boy is. Mm-hmm. And it's a BBC Scotland production. And the guy who hosts it, um, his investigation is really good. And he goes into the traveller community in Scotland and the politics of Scotland towards travellers at mm-hmm. the time. And... I feel it's really insightful because he's from the traveller community himself that he really gets people to open up to him and understand the oppressive government policies that were in place affecting the traveller community and how this little boy probably came from the traveller community but no one could come forward to claim him because of risk of losing their other children Um. And it's really harrowing, but I really appreciate how honest it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously deals a lot with the atrocities that the Scottish government committed against travellers during the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and the presenter, his father was taken into care, I think, because he came from a traveller background and eventually was able to be united with his auntie because his auntie had a house and how the government were very strict on, you know, unless you had a proper dwelling, you weren't able to provide for your children properly. And it's a really interesting listen. Is that this is a hard listen. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't much fun to it at all. It's very stark but I do feel it tells a story of discrimination Mm -hmm. and probably a story that I probably would have never known about if I hadn't listened to this series yeah yeah um so I do feel like it's important to tell these stories of you know minority discrimination and that are often whitewashed by our government Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like maybe I should have mentioned this first and then went into Dopey because. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have made me think of one of the podcasts that I listen to, like, quite regularly, uh, Murder Most Irish, which mm-hmm. 
is a murdery podcast about murders set in Ireland or involving Irish people, um, but not just um, generic murder. That's not the right way to say it, but things like um, one of the latest ones was about the um, scandal of the cervical screaming, screening service in Ireland and how um, some false negatives were covered up mm-hmm. and um, later found out that the women who received these false negatives um, then developed cancerous cells and mm-hmm. I think out of 200 people who had the false negatives, 17 have died so far. So that's been written as a um, murder by the government of Irish mm-hmm. women. Um, but it's it's very feminist. Um I would say there is definitely a feminist tone to the whole podcast. Um, it's these two uh, women, um, Sarah Jane and Emma, uh, and uh, their friend Colin, who produces it. And I love it because I've got Irish heritage, but I don't know very much about Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. And there is a lot of history um, brought in, um, especially around the Troubles, things like that, that... I feel like I'm learning a lot about Ireland um, and the Irish legal system and yeah, the Irish politics, Irish politics, stuff like that. So it's quite educational. Um, It can Mm -hmm. be quite serious, but then there are also quite funny episodes as well. So very much recommend it. It's a good good podcast. It does sound interesting. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, it's funny like how the English school system tells you nothing about Irish history, um, even though you're quite involved in it. Uh, this is whitewashing well i mean in the uk i feel like they whitewash everything i mean uh during the summer i was in the maritime museum and there's like absolutely nothing about the uk's involvement in the slave trade but there's a big exhibition about people of color being pirates and you know commandeering their own ships and their own fleets and stuff but nothing Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. the slave trade Mm -hmm. um so I feel mm-hmm. as British, what what we do is just don't talk about any, you know, yeah. atrocities that we may have committed and just hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> if we just don't mention it, it never existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, our history is quite dark. It is. And involved a lot of trying to conquer the lands and... Mm-hmm. you know bully people into the british belief of religion and various other things and yeah, yeah. um and then yeah. quite quick to abandon <laughs> when, it <didn't, laughs> when it didn't work out <laughs> yeah. yeah i i mean i i grew up in scotland so a lot of the history that i was taught at school was scottish related history like the highland clearances and a lot of it was very anti-english um (laughs) and even though i am english i feel like i carry quite a bit of this anti-english sentiment about with me (laughs) because of my upbringing oh yeah yeah um have you watched anything have i watched anything Anything in the background while you've been working on other things? Uh, yes. What did I watch? Oh, I watched um, 
So what's it called? Wednesday. <gasps> yes, but this isn't on a free-to-watch streaming no, service. No, Because I, I have been watching so. it too. Yeah. So I'm about halfway through. Yeah. So that that doesn't count. Uh, what have I been watching on a free? But I will say I am enjoying it. If anyone does have Netflix, yeah, it's yeah. a fun watch. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. There's cute bits to it. Mm. Um, what else? I think it's available on YouTube, so I can just plug it again. My favorite show in the world <laughs> is uh. <laughs> By the two drag queens, Trixie, Mattel, and um, Katja, which is just 10-minute segments of them talking about whatever they want because it's their show and not yours. So um, it's just madness, 10 minutes of madness of two drag queens just talking crap and being <laughs> weird, and it's just pure joy. Um, and I can't really think how else to describe it apart from pure insanity and joy in 10 minute lunches so yeah. I, was, I was thinking of you the other day because I was going through the streaming services looking for free to watch stuff mm. and I can't remember if it's on freebie or if it's no I think it must be on freebie I don't think it's on ITV there is a documentary about Jinx Monsoon oh okay She's <laughs> <laughs> and I was like uh, we should definitely review this Yes, I think we were both enjoying it I'm writing this down. <laughs> yeah, no, she makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. um, anything else I've been watching? I did watch Easy A last night. Um, <laughs> Following on from Booksmall. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> I play it, recommended it, and I was like, okay, fine. I don't have anything else to do with myself. Um, and oh no i just didn't oh, i love it i absolutely love easier it is such such a john hughes ripoff yeah um that it, it just appeals to my teenage self mm. um i mean todd the woodchuck yeah oh yeah yeah also uh the actor who played the guy in you. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the other thing he was in. But what I really like about that film is that him, because he's just mm. there supporting, not judging anyone, just being yeah. like a dependable, honest, straight up guy. Mm. Um, in amongst all these judgmental annoying teenagers and he's just like his character is really quality is quality writing yeah. and just you know don't be a dick he is not yeah. that dick I think the film just made me feel very uncomfortable a lot of the time mm. like I just felt bad for what was happening to her and how she got herself into this mess and how fickle people could be. It just annoyed me so much. I think especially after watching Booksmart, it mm. it felt you've gone from quite what feels like supportive adults and, and good good is coming 
where they, this one just felt like everyone's a, a twat and uh, very quick to judge and probably more realistic, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, ugh, no. It does yeah. play into those tropes a lot more. Yeah. And um, also the adults in this and in the easy air aren't great. I mean, Lisa Kudrow's school counsellor character mm. is, you know, humongous, humongously problematic. Yeah. Um, and the adults just don't seem to be supporting or helping. They're just letting all this craziness unfold. Like uh, Emma Stone's parents in this are just like, oh, whatever you're going through is fine. Not like, why is my daughter wearing lingerie to school? Yeah. There's a bigger problem here. Yeah. How can I help? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just... Oh. There's moments of fun in it, but I just... I, oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't enjoying it. It might not have aged very well, maybe. It's my problem. No. And I was just thinking, like, I watched it when it came out. And, mm. you know, it was that era of films trying to mimic John Hughes movies. Mm. And we all know how John Hughes played into tropes, um, teenage tropes. And I feel it just mimics that. But I do, I really enjoy Emma Stone's performance in yeah. it. Yeah. I think she handles it very well. Um, I do like Todd the Woodchuck <laughs> because I think he's just like the most honest, genuine character mm -hmm. in that whole mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. um, the Christian kids, I can't remember who plays the ringleader of the, the Christian um, kids. Oh, what's her name? Uh, she was in, um... oh, crumbs. She's a big think, name as well. I think she may have been a Disney star. Yeah. Oh, Amanda Bynes? Yeah, yeah, Amanda Yeah. Um, she is super annoying. And I know she's meant to be annoying and irritating and kind of like this passive-aggressive bully mm -hmm. who's not very passive or aggressive, but, you know, hiding yeah. under the banner of religion. Yeah. Um, but she is painfully irritating mm -hmm. um like a caricature of that kind of person where it stops being mm -hmm. believable i think yeah and i i feel like the film also plays into you know the gay bullied kid yeah. character character um that is very stereotypical of a lot of team films where the gay kid is an outcast and bullied and trying to hide their sexuality yeah. um, to be accepted. And, I mean, what, it was 2010? So I, I would like to think that things have come along yeah. a lot further than that. And we aren't living in a society that, you know, bullies people for who they are. Yeah. Um, but it is... It is a stereotypical teen movie. Um, I mean, it even has a musical number in it. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Which 
<laughs> and the end is cute. The end is cute where they do like cram every John Hughes film ending into one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Breakfast Club uh, ending. Strong <laughs> Breakfast Club ending. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just too much of a 80s, 90s high school comedy blueprints mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be as relative relevant nowadays um and yeah, yeah you're right i i hope this isn't the world that we live in anymore mm. i hope we're more in a book smart yeah kind of high school yeah than we are easy there yeah oh, it's a happy little moral high ground <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, what have I been watching? I I was really ill for about two weeks, so I watched a pile of crappy films, mm-hmm. um, mostly just to fall asleep to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I I rewatched Field of Dreams because oh. uh, I find Kevin Costner really bland, and I knew I could have a good nap to it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, noteworthy out of my fever dream watching was probably Locke, which I think is on Freebie. It's um, Tom Hardy. It's a British oh. film. Yeah. And he's in a car making a journey and he has to make a series of phone calls to people while in the car because this event has happened and now he has to be honest with people and deal with the fall, fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel it is a very good drama. It's very well paced. I feel like the performance from Tom Hardy is really good. His Welsh accent is very good in it. Um, however, I do feel like it's an hour and a half long BMW advert. <laughs> like... <laughs> The the car is um the car is second character to Tom Hardy's main character. <laughs> um one of the voices is oh, in Sherlock, the BBC TV series, whoever plays Moriarty in that oh, I can't I, remember yeah. the actor's name, he is one of the voices that he speaks to mm-hmm. so Tom Hardy is dealing with being honest with his wife about an affair and at the same time he works in construction and they've got like this big event happening the next day like the biggest concrete pour in the whole of Europe and he's trying to juggle you know his family stuff and his work stuff on these phone calls so the guy who plays Moriarty and Sherlock um is one of his work colleagues mm-hmm. and he gives a very good voice only performance yeah um, and i could tell it was him instantaneously as soon um as his voice came up i really enjoyed that i was like you you are doing really well right now mm-hmm. i like you um Yeah, so that was that was an okay watch. Um, yeah. I'd say it was good, but not like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like BMWs, 
I like Tom Hardy's voice. I think like I listened to him do one of the BBC bedtime story things or CBB's <gasps> bedtime stories. He's got such good delivery. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he could read a menu and you'd be like, I want to know more. <laughs> I don't know what he's. Yeah. I, I could listen to him for hours. To be honest. Yeah. And also, um, as I say, his Welsh accent is really good. It's really convincing in this film. Yeah. It gives a very good, you know, performance in. Yeah. I, I believe he's Welsh. I'm not like, you know, like with dark crimes where I'm like, uh, they've just cut down on the dialogue because Jim Carrey's Polish accent isn't very good. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hardy just basically speaks for the whole of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, the name of the actor who's Moriarty is Andrew Scott, who of course is also the priest in yes. Fleabag. So yeah. yeah, I did enjoy it. I do think you know, it's it's more of those gr- one of those grittier watches. Yeah. Um, but it's good. Um, also been watching the English on uh, BBC, mm-hmm. which is uh, Western with Emily Blunt in it. Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. It took me a couple of episodes to get into it. I think I'm used to a more grittier Western. Um. I feel like modern westerns that I've enjoyed have been like the proposition, which is uh, Guy Pierce, mm-hmm. and it's done by Warren Ellis and uh, Nick Cave. Um, like more grittier. I mean, that film's not actually that modern now. However, but I I think I'm used to a more grittier western, whereas I feel like this is more of, you know, that. Uh, early 1920s to 1960s style western maybe more influences from something like the lone ranger okay um so like it it felt a bit hammy to start with but then i got into it and it took some twists that i didn't expect it to and emily blunt is very good in it the male lead um who is uh, of Native American descent, is excellent in it. He steals the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Chiss... Sorry, no, it's not. It's Kasky Spencer. Um, He's excellent in it. Really enjoyed it. And I did look him up afterwards, and it was like, oh, he was in the Twilight Saga. And I'm like, well, yeah. he's really come along really well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad... He has done some good things afterwards. Um, so, yeah, I did really enjoy it. It did take me a while to get into it. And I think, so it's on the BBC over here, and I think it's on Amazon outside of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, really, really enjoyed the end of it. it. took me a while to get into it. And I think I persevered just because the performances were good, not necessarily yeah. the writing or the... I mean, the cinematography is good. It's a very beautiful landscape. Apparently, because of COVID, they couldn't go to America to shoot, so they shot in Spain. But it is a very mm-hmm. convincing Western landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the premise is that this woman, Emily Blunt, goes to America to kill the man who killed her son. Okay. And 
she meets this um, army, this Native American army officer, and they go on a journey together. He is going to, I think, Nebraska to claim his land that he's entitled to for fighting in the war. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of going in the same direction to find the man who killed her son. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting watch. I think it's been reviewed pretty well, actually. I feel like I know when I watched the first couple of episodes, I was like, why is this being reviewed so well? And then I got into it and I was like, oh, I kind of understand now. So mm-hmm. I would recommend it. Hmm. Okay. I think it's only eight episodes as well. So yeah, yeah. Watch it in a weekend if you're not going out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that's it from me. Do you have um, anything else? I think I'm. Yeah, I I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Lovely. Well, yeah. thank you to everyone who's listened to us on our first ever episode <laughs> um apologies for any connection issues or yeah. just you know not being as succinct as maybe we wish but it'll take us a little while to get used to it absolutely yeah <laughs> we'll be slick as whatever within no time <laughs> we'll be pros next episode oh yeah 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 <laughs> Doubtful, very doubtful, but we'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you everyone and bye for now. Bye bye.